The COVID-19 pandemic has unveiled the true power of governments big and small. California's stay-at-home order was one of the nation's most sweeping. It included banning gatherings and closing most non-essential businesses. Of course, these actions have caused frustration and strain, and several organizations have litigated, arguing that the actions of the state are too broad and infringe on individuals' rights. That balance of public health and liberty is the test of the American experiment we are all witnessing. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is a special live episode of your San Diego News Fix. Greg Moran, you cover legal affairs for the Union-Tribune. Let's start with the basics. Explain the mechanics behind how the governor has made these decisions during the pandemic. Well, he's basically been able to do this uh, using one uh, main vehicle, uh, the Emergency Services Act, which is a state law that was passed many years ago. I think the initial iteration was in the 70s, which was really designed to be able to govern the, uh, the, the, the state in times of emergency, uh, invasion, war, uh, wildfire, earthquake was probably most on their minds. Uh, it is quite a powerful law. It gives the governor, uh, whoever it may be, sweeping uh, and very broad power to uh, extend deadlines, suspend laws, uh, spend money in ways that the legislature hasn't necessarily appropriated and do all kinds of things. Uh, in as long as they are connected to managing and addressing the emergency. Mm-hmm. He also has some authority under kind of a constitutional uh, authority, where, which is the, the sovereignty of the state uh, and, the, and, and governors in that scenario anywhere in, in the country in times of emergency really have very strong powers as the chief executive. And what are some of the limits on those powers? Because it doesn't mean that everything goes out the door, right? No, I mean, we still retain our constitutional freedoms. Uh, uh, courts are operating. Um, the legislature can still, as they are this week, can still be in session and function. Uh, one of the odd things maybe we can get to is over the past couple of months is in California, the, the legislature, you know, bugged out. They, they left town uh, early on. So Newsom was kind of there by himself. But no, we still have constitutional freedoms. Um, but those are looked at somewhat differently by courts in the times of emergency, there are courts are generally deferential to, to state power and state authority uh, that can not necessarily eliminate your constitutional rights, but can but can curtail them. You know, uh, in times of demonstrated public emergency and particularly public health emergencies, but it also extends to other uh, uh, events. You know, the, the classic one is. You know, we all have First Amendment rights uh, to speak. Uh, in our business, we have First Amendment rights to publish, but you can't publish the information about the movement of ships and troops during wartime, uh, you know, for obvious reasons. The state has an interest in not uh, broadcasting, you, you know, where where the uh, armed forces of, of the nation are. So, uh, you know, if a newspaper wanted to publish that information, the government could step in and say no, even though you have a First Amendment right it can be curtailed. So it, the the power of the governor uh, in this scenario isn't absolute, but it's certainly broadened than what it is in, uh, in normal times. Mm-hmm. And just so we have a base understanding, what are some of those powers that San Diego County has? Because it seems like the governor and the county have been the biggest players for San Diegans during this pandemic. Right. Uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure where the authority comes for the county, other than public health officers, you know, both for the state and for the localities, 
uh, in times of demonstrated public health emergencies do have broad powers. And, uh, you know, San Diego County, along with other counties, you know, can get their powers from the state or can kind of mimic or mirror the state. There is some leeway in there for local conditions and local uh, adjustments, you know, for the state of emergency. But clearly the county is under the same uh, emergency declaration that the governor uh, issued on, uh, uh, declared the state of emergency on March 4th and issued the the stay home order on, I think, the 16th uh, or the 19th. Um, And the county as as an element of the state is uh, living under that and working within the parameters of that as well. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, the governor kind of sets the broader stage and then the county can do some more specific local things to help address this emergency. So it's like these two, you know, executive forms of government kind of work in tandem in a sense. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm not as well versed as the interplay on the interplay between those two, but uh, yeah, I mean, clearly the governor has uh, very strong powers here, which you we're seeing around the state. Various people are pushing back against, um, but you know, still have to kind of live under. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are suing over these orders. When you explain uh, what the South Bay United Pentecostal Church of Chula Vista says. Well, this is a lawsuit that they filed in federal court. Uh, these suits, at least in San Diego County, are being filed in federal court because uh, there are federal constitutional issues, but also because the, the state superior court is not accepting civil filing, not processing civil filings. But th- this was a lawsuit that is similar to others around the state, probably about a dozen or so, that uh, their main assertion is that the stay-home orders and, and then the, kind of the follow-on plan that he announced, I think it was last week, about the staged reopening of California, uh, but mostly the, the stay-home order, violates the Constitution. It, it, it discriminates against uh, religious groups uh, because they are not allowed to meet or to function while uh, other so-called essential businesses are allowed to, to, to function. Uh, they say it violates the rights of assembly, speech, you know, due process, equal protection, all these things. But the gist of it really is, uh, and there was another one that was filed earlier in April by another small church out in East County, the Abiding Place Ministry, is that the governor has really overstepped his authority with this order and and is exceeding the bounds of his authority by um, uh, infringing on and impinging the constitutional rights of state citizens to uh, exercise their religion to meet, to assemble, uh, to speak, and so forth. So th- this is, they're, they're looking for, you know, a federal judge to say, yeah, you've gone too far. Uh, I don't know, I think they're looking to strike down the whole uh, executive order, but they are looking for some kind of ruling that will allow them communal in-person worship uh, at their uh, churches or sanctuaries or wherever it may be. Mm-hmm. And is there any kind of precedent for lawsuits like these? Because, you know, it is kind of a tricky issue. Yeah, as it comes to the to the religious aspect of it or just, yeah. Religious aspect. You know, again, I think it goes back to that, that principle that, um, or, or the, yeah, I think it's the principle that, um, you know, the state in times of emergency can limit, curtail, pare back, uh, certain constitutional rights, so long as they are substantially related to dealing with the emergency, right? So, uh, uh, you know, in this case, uh, the state says large gatherings of people uh, in confined spaces uh, seems to be or is a, uh, a way for this uh, very 
deadly disease or infectious disease to be spread. So we don't want that to happen for a whole bunch of reasons that we're all familiar with, the collapse of the healthcare system, public safety, the general health. So therefore, we're going to say you can't meet in a congregate setting. You can't gather together congregately. You know, the governor's order has always said uh, churches, uh, religious institutions uh, can use technology to uh, still observe their uh, rituals and, and their, uh, you know, their faith, um, streaming on Facebook or YouTube, um, broadcasting on the radio, you know, whatever it may be. Um, it, it's not exactly a, a ban on practicing your faith. Um, to, to me, it's, it's not that. Uh, and most churches in the county, uh, including mine, are, you know, online every Sunday and things like that. It's not great. Uh, but it's it's uh, uh, the, the ban on the gathering, at least one judge, federal judge in San Diego has found, is, uh, uh, you know, a logical and, and substantially relates to the overall government interest in tamping down and uh, uh, blunting the impact of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So we know that events like these pandemics, natural disasters, terrorist attacks, have a real chance of kind of changing how government works. Uh, in your reporting, did you speak to any, uh, you know, scholars or experts that kind of suggest the ways that, you know, America's governing structure may be different on the other side of this pandemic? You know, I did. Uh, and uh, and I think there are a couple of things, at least in, in California, that's what I was concentrated mm-hmm. on, is, 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 is there going to be some sort of knock-on effect or residual effect from you know, really was almost two months of Gavin Newsom, you know, I don't know if I said it in the story, but I, I thought of this in, the, in conceiving the story as, you know, being a government of one, you know, he was, he was up there. Uh, I mean, yeah, the legislature, they were in conver- conversation and contact a lot with the legislature, but really since uh, March 16th, when the legislature left town uh, up until just this uh, past Monday, when the Senate came back, um, he was it, and and the uh, the main vehicle for governance in in California were these executive orders, which he churned out with some regularity. Some of which were quite sweeping and broad. Others were, you know, surprisingly minute in in what they kind of did in terms of extending deadlines or 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 suspending a certain regulation or allowing a certain thing to happen for a short short period of time. They're all kind of time limited. So, but, but the answer to the question was two things. One, uh, the main answer was like, probably not, because whenever things get back to normal, uh, the governor is really going to be, the biggest thing that, that he and the, uh, or she and the legislature is going to deal with is the budget, you know, that which is really what the kind of government runs on. Um, as far as, as kind of a, a hangover effect of a governor saying, you know, I did this for two months and everything was fine and I'm going to keep doing it. You know, I think that's unlikely. I think, you know, the legislature is quite jealous of its power uh, and its authority. The, the courts are still active and are there in a lot of ways to resolve separation of powers disputes and the limits of powers of, among the branches of the government. So I, I think the people I talked to saw this as, as a moment in time, uh, uh, an extraordinary one. Uh, you know, we, we've had states of emergency in California before for wildfires or earthquakes or floods. Well, those have really been time limited and really geographically limited. You know, there's never been such thing, you know, knock on wood, as a statewide wildfire. Um, but this is clearly a state. This goes from, you know, 
uh, Eureka all the way down to, to uh, San Isidro um, emergency and the governor exercising his power over that wide uh, an area of the state and for this long a period of time is really unusual. And I, I don't think uh, that there will be any kind of long-term governance changes to this. There may be some uh, and probably will be when things settle down and people can uh, look look more, uh, kind of a look back and a greater scrutiny at, at sort of the mechanics of a lot of these orders and these things that, that were done. But um, no, I don't think this will be a long-term change to the, to the structure of governance in, in California. Mm-hmm. And certainly kind of the state-by-state state national response to this pandemic has been kind of like a you know, really fast experiment in federalism in which you have different states doing different things at different times. And that's created this really confusing patchwork that makes fighting a pandemic that doesn't know boundaries even more difficult. Right. That's exactly right. I remember thinking uh, way back at the beginning, which was about a month ago, six weeks ago, that, you know, with the federal government and the Trump administration's, their posture about, you know, kind of pushing this, a lot of the responsibility for this out to the states, I think, you know, we're really going to see uh, kind of, you know, federalism at work here, that that you're going to see uh, a lot of uh, different, uh, you know, states are famously called the, the laboratory of democracy, you know, the the, uh, trying new things out, trying different things out, trying different approaches. Um, you know, maybe that's not during a pandemic, that's not the time to do it, but that's certainly what we're seeing. And I think in, in our situation here in San Diego County, that's complicated even more. Not only you're right, the, the virus does not respect state borders, Arizona or Nevada. It also doesn't respect international borders. And so, you know, we, we have this whole situation with Mexico, uh, which we have no control over, uh, really, uh, that's kind of complicating our our response here, but but definitely, and that's one of the issues pointed out in this um, in the lawsuit I wrote about from South Bay United Pentecostal was that they said, you know, uh, I think all these state all the states now have some kind of a, a stay at home order. Uh, California is one of only eight states which did not have a carve out for religious services. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that gives you an idea of the kind of the diversity of approaches to to governance uh, during this time. Mm-hmm. And underpinning this whole discussion is kind of the the value of personal liberty and freedom. And even that idea has become polarized recently and frequently taken to an extreme. For instance, people choosing not to wear masks, for example. To what extent do you think that mindset kind of limits our ability to debate this very complicated topic as to how much power should an executive have? Well, you know, uh, uh, I'm not quite sure you know, what what it does. I mean, the the, the, lot, the battle lines are, are pretty well drawn, you know, which is the the people who are who don't want to aggressively don't want to wear masks or aggressively want businesses open. Obviously, have a view of executive power that is different than what polls show is the majority of people. Which you know, Newsom is is doing quite well in terms of favorability polls, uh, as as many governors are. But that's always the tension, you know, in our system is the tension between individual rights and and the state state's ability and, and, and responsibility in some ways to look out for the general welfare. You know, in this case, you know, there is longstanding Supreme Court uh, law. There's a case from 1905, Jacobson versus Massachusetts, which dealt with a guy who didn't want to get a smallpox vaccine. Uh, he took it all with the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said, 
you know, he, he claimed he had a liberty interest in not being vaccinated. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, you have a, a liberty interest in your personal health, but that ends when you begin to, to affect someone else's health. It's kind of a variation of, you know, my right to throw a punch ends at your face. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the balance in a way that that's here. In that case, the, the court ruled that the state can, in, in because there was a an outbreak of smallpox, it's a public health emergency. They can compel people to get to get va- or vaccinated or penalize them if they don't. Um, uh, and that is still good law. That is still kind of the bedrock law behind public health emergencies and and uh, state power during those emergencies. And that's you know I don't know if wearing a mask kind of rise to the level of, of getting a vaccine, but, um, and, and the mask is not a, a law per se, but yeah, it's definitely an indice of, um, you know, sort of the American, you know, uh, character's uh, insistence on individual liberty uh, free from state interference, uh, which, you know, courts have said generally is great, but can be limited. Yeah, and that sudden shift kind of back to needing unified, strong government in this moment is kind of like a whiplash for a lot of Americans. It is. It's and, it's, and I guess, frankly, you know, it's people who don't fully, you know, people say I have rights. Yeah, you don't have absolute rights. But, um, you know, uh, it all it all kind of comes out in in how the state exercises its, its authority. You know, if it, I talked to one guy for this Newsom story who said, look, uh, it was kind of complimentary about how Newsom has done this rule through executive orders. And he said, look, if he was doing all this, issuing all these orders, saying everybody stay at home, everybody wear a mask, you know, do this, because there had been a mudslide in one part of L.A. County only, you know, then we'd, then we'd have a problem. You know, then, then that's yeah. different. But he's not. He's dealing with a, a problem that goes you know, north and south and east and west and affects everyone. Uh, and so, therefore, maybe the, the breadth of that, of that power, which has never really been on, been on display like it is now, uh, is kind of taking people back. But I think it's also, I mean, we're a very polarized country and, and uh, here in California and across the country. And, you know, there's a, a segment of people who think that they you know, have the right not to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. Certainly. The, the discourse seems to have kind of uh, dissolved recently, but we really can't meme our ways out of this problem. So what can you do? Right. All right. Greg Moran, thank you so much. Sure. Now your coronavirus update. San Diego County reached a new high in the number of COVID-19 tests conducted in a single day, coming just shy of 4,000 tests on Wednesday. Of those 3,998 tests, 113 of them, just 3%, came back positive. The county also marked another grim milestone with Thursday's reporting, with six additional deaths, raising to 200 the number of local residents who have died because of the virus. The latest victims were between the ages of 73 and 98 and all had existing health conditions. As of Thursday's reporting, 5,391 county residents have tested positive for the virus, and a little less than one in five of them needed to be hospitalized. Of those who were, about 30.6%, 321 people, needed to be placed in the ICU. Deaths represent 4% of local cases. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. We want to remind you that information is your first line of defense. The San Diego Union-Tribune is dedicated to bringing you the latest news in print, online, and on our podcasts. Right now, you can read our public health stories related to the virus online for free without hitting the paywall. But you can get all of your news at your fingertips, wherever and whenever you want if you're a subscriber. 
don't miss a story, go to uniontrip.com slash subscribe. Until next time.